Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You would please take out your Bibles and uh, turn in them in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 20. You can do that with an electronic Bible if you have that. If you don't have one with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible in the back part at page number 16, and you would be at Matthew chapter 20. You know, life doesn't always uh, turn out the way that we expect, and life can have surprising reversals in it. One way to illustrate that is to look at the saga of the baseball player who was known as Tony C. And Tony C. was Tony Canigliaro. And he was a rising baseball star in the mid to late 60s with the Boston Red Sox. And Tony C. was a hitter with fire in his eyes. He would literally spit at pitchers. Now remember, they're throwing balls at up to 100 miles an hour. And he would often say to them, come on! Get the ball up here. And then he would just spit. One of his teammates remembered this time when Tony C. hit a landmarker off Raleigh Sheldon one night in Kansas City. And he said, I was playing left field for Kansas City. And I didn't even move. And the ball just went flying over his head. The next time we played in Boston, Raleigh drilled him right in the ribs. And the next time he came up, Tony just looked at the mound and went spitting right at him, that we could hardly believe it. Women were attracted to Tony C. He was the kind of ladies' man who would be standing on a street corner and suddenly find himself in the company of a woman so beautiful that mere mortals might be afraid to even draw a breath in her presence. For the next three days, or until Tony C.'s team left town, that woman would adorably Follow him around like a puppy dog. The general consensus in Boston is that Tony C. would make them forget the Yaz, Carl Yastrzemski, who was the sure Hall of Famer from Boston. Tony C. was the top banana of Boston folklore. And everyone believed he certainly was destined to be the most revered, the most remembered baseball player ever. And then there was a reversal. In one game, Tony C. got hit in the head with a pitch. And he actually lost the sight in that eye when he got hit with that pitch. Still continued to play for a while, but his average, his batting average went way down, and frankly, he lost his courage. He was traded from the Boston Red Sox. One time before one game in Anaheim, California, he came out before the game to find his uniform laid out on a stretcher decorated with a pair of crutches right next to it. Tony C. went through a series of comebacks. In his early 40s, he suffered a heart attack, fell into a coma, and then died at the age of 45. Things are not always as they appear in life. They don't always turn out the way that we think that they might. Sometimes there's this reversal that catches us by surprise. That's true in life. 
And it's true in the spiritual realm. You know that divine reversal is built into the kingdom of God? I mean, think about the stories we have. You have Joseph in the Old Testament with his brothers, and his brothers sort of gang up on him, and they're in control, and they want to get rid of him, and they sell him into slavery. Then there's this reversal, because 20 years later, he's the number two guy in Egypt, and there are his brothers on their faces begging him for food. Divine reversals built into the kingdom of God. We see it in Matthew chapter 18, uh, where the disciples have been arguing about the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And we see Jesus with the children. And you might expect Jesus to say, at least the disciples were expecting him to say to the kids, well, you know what you want to do, kids, is you want to be like Peter, James, and John. That's not what he says. There's this reversal. He says to Peter, James, and John, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to be like these children. You need to have childlike faith and a childlike openness. Divine reversal is built into the kingdom of God. We see it over and over again. For example, in Psalm 73, it's a psalm by Asaph, and Asaph is struggling with this issue. He's basically saying to God, why do the wicked seem to prosper? I look around and I see evil people who are living a life of ease. They have riches. They're living the high life. And here I am, I've chosen to live a pure life, and I'm having pain, and I'm having trouble, and I'm struggling financially. And he's on the edge of being bitter about all of that. And as he goes into the temple to worship the Lord, the Lord opens his eyes up to show what the future of these wicked, evil people are. And he sees that they're really on the cliff of destruction, and that is the destiny of the wicked. You see, that's a, that's a divine reversal in things. You know, what I would have to say, having been around spiritual things for a number of decades, that one of the top struggles of the Christian life is what you might call the comparison trap, or what I have called it at times, the TBS, top banana syndrome. And we can fall into this comparison trap that we develop TBS We can do it with those outside the kingdom of God, which is part of what Asaph was struggling with, and we can do it with those inside the kingdom of God. You see, sometimes we tend to focus on those that we view as sort of being the top bananas spiritually, and then we find ourselves comparing ourselves with the people that we view as the top bananas. And then what's amazing is sometimes we even strive to be viewed by others as being the top banana spiritually. We fall into that comparison trap. But things are not always as they appear. And there is a divine reversal coming. See, the Lord Jesus said these words, the first will be last and the last will be first. We've been involved in a short series of messages we have entitled God's Upside-Down Kingdom, and we've been pointing out that when you take God's kingdom and our culture, the culture's out of whack. It's described as being bent and twisted, but the reality is it's not really God's kingdom is upside-down. God's kingdom is right-side-up. It's the culture that's upside-down, and we've been studying this. We looked at God's elevator, how with God up is down and down is up. We've looked at finding by losing. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake finds it. And today we want to talk about 
God's upside-down kingdom, divine reversal. And I just want you to know where my heart's coming from today. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to leave being encouraged. We want to spend a few moments together exploding the myth of the top banana syndrome. We want to spend some time learning to steer clear of the peril of comparison in our spiritual life. And as part of the encouragement, we want to reassure each and every one of us that the sacrifices we make for the kingdom of God are a wise investment. They are a wise investment. Now, five times in the Gospels, Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And two of those times are sandwiched around a parable in Matthew chapter 20. And I want to begin reading, invite you to follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read the very last verse of chapter 19, and then I'm going to read through the first 16 verses of Matthew 20. So follow along. Verse 30 of the previous chapter says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he went about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. You know, over the years, um, I've sort of joked with that phrase that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I've used it a lot when we've been having potluck meals, you know, when you have all that food piled on the tables, and I'm not in line, and I'm letting everybody go first. And people say, well, why are you doing that? And I say, well, listen, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. I'm, I'm waiting for heaven. The food is going to be even better then. And if I'm last now, I can maybe be first in heaven. What does this really mean, though? What is Jesus talking about here? 
Well, I want you to see, just as you feel the whole context of what we've been looking at, that the issue that Jesus is addressing here is the issue of comparison. If you go back to chapter 19, and you can do this later in your own study, you find out from verse 27 that that was the issue. Peter was comparing himself and the other disciples with this rich man. And he's saying, what is in it for us? See, he's got a comparison thing at work. And when you look at what happens in this parable in Matthew chapter 20, you see that the issue that they were struggling with was the issue of comparison. They were comparing what they were doing and what they were getting with other people. So the issue that he is addressing is the comparison trap that we often find ourselves involved with. And what I want to do in the next few moments is just to survey through the parable. You notice it says in in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. And I just want you to see what Jesus is stressing in this parable is what our focus should be as we serve Jesus Christ. Okay, that's that's the issue that he's addressing. And the situation that he's using as an illustration is this idea of a landowner who would go out early in the morning. Now, what's happening is he has a vineyard, it's harvest time, and just like we have in, in a lot of agriculture in our day, he needed extra workers to harvest the grapes. And what would happen in that day is that day laborers would gather at the market And they would usually do this at dawn. They would show up like at 6 a.m. And then maybe a a vineyard owner would come up and they would negotiate a wage that he would pay them at 6 a.m. And he, in this story, says, I will pay you a denarius, which was the average day's pay would be one denarius. So he hires this group probably about... 6 a.m., and then in verses 3 and 4, he hires more workers at the third hour, that's 9 a.m., the sixth hour, that's noon, the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. And he just simply says to them, I'm going to pay you whatever is right. And then in verses 6 and 7, we find out he goes and hires more people at the 11th hour, that's 5 p.m., And then in verse 8, it says, when evening came, when it began to get dark, he tells the foreman, I want you to pay everybody. And then you have those who are hired at 5 p.m., and each one receives a denarius. And then the people who'd been hired, though it's 6 a.m. in the morning, thought they were going to get more, but they received a denarius. And you see the conflict in the story in verses 11 to 15 which we just read, you know, they begin to grumble. Uh, they, didn't, they only worked an hour or so. We worked all day long. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute now, didn't we do what I agreed to do? And he basically saying, I have the prerogative to handle things the way that I want to handle things. And then you have the lesson delivered in verse 16. So, the last shall be first and the first last. And what I want to do is I simply want to, having looked at all that material, I I want to bring out two principles that I think God has for us. And here's the very first principle. Principle number one is be careful to avoid comparison with others. 
That's what started this whole thing off back in chapter 19. Jesus is being challenged by Peter, who's basically saying, I see this rich man, and I see us. We've given up everything. What are we going to get? He's basically doing the comparison thing. And this was a pattern with the disciples. They did this over and over. They were looking at one another. They were looking at other people. They were asking, how do I stack up, God? And you remember their frequent discussions that they would have about which one was the greatest in the kingdom. They're in the comparison game. They got the TBS syndrome working full time. And, you know, when we step into the comparison trap, here's what I believe. We tend to step in one of two ways. First of all, we tend to step into the comparison trap with a critical eye. With a critical eye. Where we are criticizing other people. We're thinking, you know what? I'm better than they are. I'm more deserving than they are. I've been watching and I did a better job than they did. I've invested more time than they have. And I'm kind of concerned for my rights. I mean, when you look at things, this isn't really completely fair. I did most of the work. I put in most of the hours. Now, just freeze frame that for a second. What are we saying when we say that? I'm the top banana, and they're not. And when you go into the comparison trap with a critical eye, do you know where it leads? It leads to complaining, and it leads to whining. And that's exactly what we see out of this group that had been hired in the early part of the morning. You know, the most important thing with God, the most important thing with God when He, when he thinks about us is our attitude. Are we serving Him for what we think we're going to get? Or are we just serving Him merely out of complete gratitude for who He is and what He has done? What, what is Jesus saying to these workers who stepped into the comparison trap with a critical eye? He's saying to them, would you let me be the master, please? Right? Isn't that what He said to them? Let me be the master. We see that emphasized in Romans chapter 14. I want to just read these verses. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants fall or stand, stand or fall. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. See, we need to let Jesus be the master. He's very good at it. So sometimes we step into the comparison trap with a critical eye, but I think, frankly, more commonly, we step into the comparison trap with an envious eye, with an envious eye. And I have to admit, admit to you, I've done that. I've done that myself. You know, over the decades we've been involved here at Wildwood, um, 
I, I have to admit, I've cast an envious eye at times to what I would call pastors of exploding churches. Now, if you know anything about the history of Wildwood, that you know that we have had over the decades very solid, sustained growth, and we're continuing to do that. But man, some of these guys who pastor exploding churches, it just seems like, you know, one week they're 500, the next week they're 1,500. And you know, when you're a pastor of an exploding church, oh, people want you to come speak at a conference because you obviously have some sort of incredible insight into what leads to exploding growth. And there's been times I, I, have, I have struggled with that. Now, what's interesting, I've also seen a number of pastors of exploding churches flame out. I've been around this long enough. I've seen that happen. And I've seen some pastors of exploding churches fall out of the ministry. But you see, at times, we just step into the comparison trap with an envious eye. If I'm going to ask you the question, which believers in our generation do you think will be the most honored by God in heaven? Who do you think they would be? We took the time to take nominations. You might say, well, I think the most honored people by God in heaven are going to be people like, maybe you might say, if you're a little older, you might say Chuck Swindoll or or John MacArthur, or you might say Billy Graham, or someone might say, I think John Piper is going to be one of the most honored in heaven, or maybe you might say Elizabeth Elliot or Beth Moore, Kay Arthur, We're going to be the most honored people from Wildwood. And you might say, some people might say, well, maybe it's going to be Bruce. Maybe it's going to be Mark Robinson. Maybe it's going to be the elders. Maybe it's going to be our women ministry leaders. Just remember, things are not always as they appear. Because some who are first are going to be last, and some who are last are going to be first. You know, what's the difference in the parable among these workers? Well, I think reality is that some workers had less opportunity than others. Some only got to serve the master for an hour. Some got to serve the master all day long. And the truth is that some of us have less opportunities than others. And yet we find ourselves in the comparison trap. You know, we we run around, and we don't really broadcast that we're thinking this way, but this is the way we often think. You know, I wasn't born into money. Some of these other people were. I'm short. I'm introverted. I have been limited by my education. I've been limited by my health. I just serve in support roles. Maybe the idea in the comparison trap is you just say, well, I just labor in obscurity. No one really knows everything that I do. And by the way, moms, that fits you very well. Most people don't really know everything that you do. We get into the comparison trap. We've maybe had less opportunity. We would say, I've been limited by my race. I've been limited by my background. I've had to go through a whole series of incredibly difficult situations in my life. And through all of that, what do we do? We think less of ourselves. 
You know what's interesting? Even when you look around Wildwood, the most honored people in heaven may be the support staff in our youth ministry at this church. The most honored person who's part of Wildwood might turn out to be a widow or a single parent who's just struggling to be able to give $20 a week to the kingdom of God. It may very well be that the most honored person may be the people who set up and clean up at functions that we have. It may be the people who serve squirming toddlers on a Sunday morning or crying babies while I am here playing the more visible role. You see, those who are at the top of the who's who in the church here probably won't be at the top of the who's who in the church in heaven. And I share all of that just so that you would have a sense of some encouragement, especially if you labor serving Jesus Christ in an unrecognized way or if you minister behind the scenes. Now, I don't understand what the Master's doing. If He has dealt you limited opportunity, but let me just say this. If you have limited opportunity, be faithful with the opportunity that you have. The Master will honor that. Two principles. The first principle is be careful to avoid comparison with others. Second principle, stay focused on serving the Master. What were the workers in the first group doing? The ones who were hired at 6 a.m. They were focused on the others who were hired. And what they needed to do is to stay focused on serving the Master. I I, I want to turn over to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, a couple of Gospels to the right. And and I want to look at something that, that Peter did. Oh, good old Peter. He's always encouraging all of us. And we see something interesting happens in John 21, verses 18 to 21. Very last number of verses in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch. He's talking about the future for Peter. You will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, verse 19 explains what he was talking about. Now, this he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when Jesus had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, notice verse 20. What does Peter do? But Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's talking about the the apostle John following them, the one who had leaned back on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing John, says to Jesus, well, what about this guy? I'm going to get crucified for following you. What about him? What about this guy? And notice what Jesus says. I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? Verse 22, you follow me. Would you mind, Peter, if if I could just be the master? And here's my direction to you, Peter. You follow me. 
you follow me. Don't have your eyes on John. Keep your eyes on me. What is the path to greatness in the kingdom of God? You know, I don't care how old we are at Wildwood, we ought to be able to answer that question. What is the path to greatness in the kingdom of God? And in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 35, Jesus tells us, they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he began to question the disciples. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he said to them, Men, will you please listen up? If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all. And then you have those last few words, and servant of all. What is the path to greatness in the kingdom of God? It's upside down from the way the world thinks. The path to greatness in the kingdom of God is that we're the servant of all. Every one. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, make it a priority to meet the needs of other people. If you want to be great, if you want to be first, as you have resources and as opportunity allows, serve other people. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that exciting because it means that any single one of us that are here who know Jesus Christ and follow him and we are breathing, any one of us can qualify for greatness in the kingdom of God. Now, isn't that cool? I think it is. Any one of us can qualify for greatness in the kingdom of God. Things are not always as they appear. There's a divine reversal to come. Jesus said, many who are first shall be last, and many who are last shall be first. Now, we talk about life response. We like to look at Scripture and talk about how is this going to look like in my life this next week as I go out. And I want to talk about life response. Two things for us. Life response number one, seek to avoid the pitfall of comparison. Of course we're going to fall into it from time to time. But let's seek to avoid the pitfall of comparison because it leads to things we don't want. It leads to grumbling and complaining. It it leads to discouragement. We can think, why should I even bother? Seek to avoid the pitfall of comparison. Life response number two, maintain perspective as you serve Him. There is no behind the scenes with God. There is no such thing with him. So we need to maintain our perspective as we serve him. And we need to remember that there is a divine reversal ahead. Don't ever lose sight of that. Now, today I began with the story of a baseball player. And I want to end with a reflection of another baseball player. And if you know anything about baseball, he's one that you have heard of. His name is Babe Ruth. 
for many, many decades considered to be the greatest home run hitter in all of baseball. And when you listen to this reflection, you just get the sense, and I'm not sure what the story is or how it happened, but Babe Ruth understood the principle of divine reversal. That some who are first will be last, and some who are last will be first. This is what he said. Most of the people who have really counted in my life were not famous. Nobody ever heard of them except those who, who knew them and loved them. I knew an old minister once. His hair was white. His face shone. I have written my name on thousands of baseballs in my life. The old minister wrote his name on just a few simple hearts. How I envy him. He was not trying to please his own immortal soul, so fame never came to him. I am listed as a famous home runner. Yet beside that obscure minister who was so good and so wise, I never got the first base. Let's pray together. Father, we, we know we live in this world and yet we get so swallowed up in the world's way of thinking and the culture's way of thinking. May you just encourage us to stay out of the comparison game, to just keep our eyes focused on serving you, and then to remember, no matter where we are, there is divine reversal coming. May we honor you, we pray in Jesus' name.